0: I never thought I would do anything that important, inspiring, groundbreaking. Then I find myself on the list of top 30 in Europe. Receiving this this kind of recognition during war feels a bit strange. But I also think that we need the support, we need energy to carry on. Then there's nothing wrong about uh, celebrating some achievements uh,
1: during war. This is Voices of Ukraine, a podcast from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. I'm Masha Udenceva-Brenner, the Institute's Media Manager, and the voice you just heard was Doma Istomina, the Deputy Chief Editor of the KU Independent. Doma was included in Forbes 30 Under 30 in Europe list earlier this month, along with four of her colleagues at the Independent. She's 26 years old, grew up in a Russian speaking family in Sumy Oblast in northeastern Ukraine, and has been working in journalism for five years. The recording you just heard is from last week, but the conversation you'll hear today with Doma's friend and colleague, Lily Bivings, took place in late March, just a month after the war started. Lily, who's a contributing editor at The Independent and a master's student at the Harriman Institute, was with us for the previous episode, where she interviewed KU Independent's editor-in-chief, Olga Rudenko. If you missed it, I strongly recommend listening to that one first, not only to hear Olga, but also for some context about the KU Independent, which is a very new publication with a fascinating story. Lily spoke with Doma over Zoom while Doma was in western Ukraine, where she'd evacuated from KU shortly after the war started. Please excuse the background noise in the recordings, and keep in mind that I edited and condensed the conversation for clarity. I hope you enjoy this very intimate glimpse into what it's like to be a young journalist in Ukraine covering the war unfolding in your own country. To start, we'll hear what it was like for Thoma right before Russia invaded.
2: I know it's already been more than a month and a lot of has happened, but if you don't mind walking me through The night before it happened, and then like when it started early in the morning, what you remember.
0: I remember very well picking up my coffee at a coffee shop, like next next door to our office on uh, February twenty three, and me thinking that wow this is so surreal like something might happen any moment and I'm just getting my coffee here casually like if my country is not one step uh, away from. 20th century kind of war, you know And then we're just working all day We as usual stayed late We left at around 2.43 Something around that I hugged my co-workers and was like Well, I hope I I, I see you guys tomorrow (laughs) And uh, They were like, yeah, sure But we haven't seen each other since then And then I jump into the taxi And we see uh, news about Blinken Saying that he is certain That Putin is going to invade Before the end of the night And I'm opening my laptop and I'm just uh, putting up that uh, news item on our website, sending it to Twitter. And I have such a talkative driver that's driving me crazy, who has been so serene and calm and peaceful and is like cheerful and asking me, you know, the sexiest uh, kind of question and jokes about... Oh, why are you, you know, going home so late? Why are you not smiling? Why are you so tired? Did you tell the taxi driver? I was kind of numb, to be honest. I was a bit shocked and I didn't know where to start, you know? How do you tell someone that uh, something as horrible might happen? And then I left and I was like heading quickly to my apartment. I never packed my go bag before that. Because like everyone else, I was certain that it's not going to get to Kiev. Uh, but then somehow I was thinking that, you know, that night that I need to pack just in case, just in case. And so I just took that hour to pack all the necessary things one might need to survive in a forest. <laughs> and that's what I'm still wearing by this day.
2: What did you take? What did you decide to take? Just
0: like sweatshirts and a couple of jeans that's couple of t-shirts and that's it. Yeah, and so I packed my stuff and, and then we see that Putin is about to address Russia. And we put, put him on, listen to this uh, crazy maniac lecture telling us that uh, our country doesn't have a right to exist and they're gonna fix it. And then we put news on the website about uh, Russia declaring war on Ukraine. And then our website goes down because the traffic is unprecedentedly high for obvious reasons. They call our programmers and tell them that, first of all, Russia declared war on Ukraine, so maybe you might want to get up. And second, our website is down, so please do something. <laughs> and we're still talking about that conversation with our programmers because it's one-of-a-kind conversation. It doesn't happen again. You, you don't hear those words. And then it was just work 24-7 for a couple of days and an hour of sleep here and there.
2: And yeah. that was from Kyiv, right? Yeah,
0: that was in Kyiv. I was staying in Kiev for a couple of days. I wanted to stay in Kiev for as long as possible because I wanted to be on the ground and... Uh, I also kind of felt, what's going to happen to the city if everyone leaves? There were still rumors about Russia's plans to install a puppet uh, government in Kiev and... Uh... I was like, who's gonna protest this shit? You know, if I'm not here and everyone leaves, who's gonna protest this? I want to be here and I want to show that this city is against it and I'm part of that city. I want to be part of that. But at the same time I I knew that it was getting just very difficult to work in Kiev. There was also one friend who told me, You're not a fucking soldier, you you're a journalist and you're part of the future of ukraine and ukraine needs you And you can do much more if you leave now but then you will come back when the time is right and i was like yeah you're
2: right i think too like maybe knowing that things fortunately did not go according to russian plans which was to take kiev in two days it kind of just probably a little bit of a relief to, for those who did leave to think okay there are people protecting the city it's okay that i'm not there for now you
0: know the moment i was talked into leaving was the moment when there were first um, reports about russians entering kiev there was like a group of russians who stole a tank a ukrainian armed forces tank and they dressed in uh, ukrainian uniform and they did enter kiev and uh, i mean there were killed soon after that but that was the moment i had my backpack with essentials with me i was ready to go any moment but i wasn't really planning to i was in the subway station early in the morning after spending a whole night there and i'm being talked into leaving it and i was like you know what? It's too late anyway. It's too late. And my colleagues were like, "Tom, it's not too late. Just fucking leave. Get it together." And I mm, go outside and many people look just casual. Someone was legit smoking and drinking coffee outside. And I was like, "Dude, this kind of stoic uh, attitude, I don't have it."
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm curious what the, your day-to-day was like what the day-to-day was like for the newspaper before and then what it's like now
0: yeah uh, actually the, the key Independent independence and everyone involved is in a bit of an extraordinary situation here because ever since we launched this startup in november we've been working like crazy i was already working a lot <laughs> extraordinarily a lot, but when the invasion happened, it was literally 24-7 from that moment on. What's different right now is that I'm separated from all of my colleagues. All of us are in quite a stressful situation and emotions are quite intense sometimes and we can take it out on each other. I'm on my phone or on my laptop all the time. If I'm up, I don't sleep as much. But at the same time, I have to say after a month of not getting enough sleep, now I'm getting more sleep than I should because I just can't make myself get up and it's getting bad. Same here. I can't get out of bed. I physically can't get up. I can't move. As Olga said, we all became war reporters. There are no beats anymore. We are all covering war 24-7. So that's been quite an experience of... um your emotion under control and um, trying to do your job well while also being extremely anxious and worrying about your family being in danger so i think we've learned a lot of things already especially managing our emotions
2: i try really hard i mean i mostly communicate with you guys at the newspaper and my friends in ukraine at this point I'm trying to be very kind of cautious and calm and polite and so i'm containing a lot of my emotions and so when i go out in the world here in the states i, I just lash out at people like i step with one foot outside the door and i'm just like this monster especially like i'm in an environment too where like My peers, or people around me, have a lot of opinions or takes on the situation. And some people have takes that are, you know, more frustrating than others.
0: I'm very happy, actually, that I I don't have any interactions with people who are not like-minded right now. So I have no idea how you are dealing with that, with people not understanding the basics of this conflict and just still expressing their um, opinions that they think are very valuable.
2: <laughs> it was a shock at first. I was really emotional about the fact that I knew people and people knew me. And they know Ukraine, they know, you know, they, they know a little bit about the situation, that they were so unable to see the situation for, for what it is, which is just like an attack on an innocent group of people and kind of trying to have geopolitical takes about it. this was kind of warped historical perspective of the US pissed off Russia with NATO. It felt like it was lacking so much humanity. And so I just kind of decided like to isolate myself from most people and like just communicate as much as possible with my Ukrainian friends. Now I'm like in this phase where I just, I think I'm just kind of depressed at this point.
0: I had, I had similar stages except, I mean, the shock was really short. Um and then there was a lot of anger and that unprecedented level of hatred that everyone's talking about in Ukraine, but it's so true and I know people are sharing this emotion. It was really mad but at the same time really proud of my country. And then came this stage that you didn't mention when they started shelling and killing civilians en masse. That was the moment when I was just feeling hopeless. I was feeling in such despair. And then came the stage where I was not feeling much in general. Like It's, it's interesting you brought up the civilian death part because I was trying to figure
2: out like when did I switch from being super angry to just being depressed. It was just like, it doesn't even matter now when it ends because all of the, the horror and destruction and the things that people have gone through are here to stay with us forever.
0: There's one story that shocked me particularly because there's a university friend of mine who just lost her husband who was fighting in Kiev and they have an almost two-year-old boy who's just the most incredible beautiful boy you could imagine and it felt like part of me died when I was reading the news. I messaged her and um really hard to pick the right words um in a situation like that but at the same time you want to support that person in in a way you can i was chatting with her a little bit you know i'm always here reach out any moment and she said they've taken away my world and it's you know she's a 25 year old who has a beautiful two-year-old son who just lost the love of her life No matter when it stops, and no matter if Ukraine wins, nobody will ever give her back her husband and her world. You know, Ukrainian history is is
2: full of very traumatic events, and this trauma gets passed down generationally. And I remember having multiple conversations where it's like, My generation, we're almost 30. That generation, Ukrainian, they inherited some of this generational trauma still. And they remember being children in the 90s. They remember how much people were struggling and their families were struggling. But like the 18 through 20, they were like this different type of Ukrainian. Maybe because they grew up in a totally different Ukraine. And that's ruined. Completely. And they're going to pass this experience down to their children. Yeah,
0: but I think even those of us who haven't really witnessed the 90s or the recent hardship that ukraine had there was almost a joke with my peers about how ukraine's been struggling throughout its whole history and Ukrainian art literature is always about struggle and how we want to break free i think what in the recent years many of us were feeling is that we're finally getting there we're actually doing some things that are new to the whole world we have something that are very much proud of and that we want to cultivate and this whole progress is taken away from us again because now even when we're back to normal life we'll have to just rebuild infrastructure and make sure we're to survive as a nation as a country honestly i think there's still going to be a lot of creativity and innovation that process is going to be much faster than it could have been
2: no, I, I, I think so too. I mean, look at how much Ukraine changed just after Maidan. It was a wonderful moment for Ukraine, but it was also a very difficult moment and a dark time. But actually, the last thing I wanted to ask about was like, what are your plans when the, when the war is over? When Ukraine wins, what is the first thing you want to do? What are your plans like at Kiev Independent? Or what are your plans personally?
0: Well, with Kiev Independent, I think it's pretty obvious, even though the war is going to be over, we're still going to have a lot of work. But also, I th- hope we get some some rest. And as for me personally, well, I would just uh, definitely want to see my parents who are staying in my hometown, 40 kilometers away from the Russian border and who I haven't seen since the beginning of war. I really miss Kiev and I really want to go back to my new home and my favorite city and um, just experience the regular things that I love very much go to my favorite coffee shops and restaurants and uh, meet my friends uh, for a movie in this avant-garde cinema in my favorite creative district but also go dance to my favorite techno club really hope that they don't ruin it <laughs> because I needed to stay intact more than many things it's part of the critical infrastructure it gives people joy it makes us um, feel alive and gives us energy to do whatever we're doing outside the club so that's what i'm very much looking forward to
1: in early may a little more than a month after this conversation took place Toma was able to leave ukraine for a few days to represent the ku independent at a conference in bergen norway she got the chance to rest and buy clothes to supplement the ones in her go bag to meet and connect with other journalists. And she even received a standing ovation after a public interview she gave at the conference. But in spite of this much-needed break, Thoma told Lily that it was difficult for her to enjoy life in a safe place. Here's what she said shortly after she got back.
0: In Ukraine, if I'm enjoying something, whether it's a nice dinner or a song that I like, uh, a nice sunset, it somehow still justified, like I'm in Ukraine, I'm under threat here as well, I have this uh, right to be enjoying things despite everything that's happening but then abroad, while I'm in safety, all of a sudden you feel very guilty and it feels really bizarre to be enjoying anything, like the scenery that I've seen, the aesthetics of The architecture in Bergen or to be buying something uh, and feeling that pleasure when you're getting something you like felt really bizarre as well. While you know that your country is suffering still and many people don't have access to water or food or anything really basic with all that energy and all the support that I got at the conference in Bergen, I really want to convert it now into some energy and motivation that I can share with my team.
1: Now, Toma is back in Ukraine. She hasn't returned to Kyiv yet since her initial evacuation, but she's hoping to do so soon. If you're looking for ways to support the people of Ukraine, please consider donating to razomforukraine.org. That's R-A-Z-O-M. ForUkraine.org It was founded in 2014 in the wake of Ukraine's Revolution of Dignity by Dora Komiak who's on the Harriman Institute's National Advisory Council The organization has been working directly with volunteers in Ukraine to provide emergency relief where it's needed most Thank you for listening to Voices of Ukraine from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University I'm Masha Udenciva-Brenner This episode was written and produced by me with editorial help from Jordan Waller. The music in the series is by Ivan Nebesny, who's currently in Lviv. We wish him, Doma's family, friends, the staff of Kyu Independent, and all the people of Ukraine, safety and strength. The cover art is by Victoria Tendler Krilov. A huge thank you to Jordan Waller, Marko, Andrejcik, and Nathan Schiller for their feedback on the episode. If you like the show, Please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a review.